Okay, hey guys, welcome to Consume, podcast by me, Burton Olivier, uh, where I talk about all the things I consume, with the main uh, framework being my 2021 Watch a Movie Every Day Challenge. We're entering the second week of Die Another May, which has been fun. Um, Today's entry is weird, but fun enough. Uh, It's pretty okay. Friday, I guess. Uh, it's my mom's birthday on the 7th. I should have said happy birthday to her in the last one, but then again, I don't think she listens to this, so, uh, but whatever, happy birthday, mom. Um, it's funny, like, I have, like, my own, like, personal schedule or, like, routine, and I had to, like, disrupt it today, and it's fucked up my, like, entire vibe for today, because I had to wake up early, quote-unquote, at noon, to drive my brother to his doctor's appointment. He has Medi-Cal, so they made him, like, choose a doctor that's downtown. So I had to drive him down there, and while he was in there, uh, I went to Burger Lords, because I was kind of by Koreatown, and went and had the pleasure of of paying uh, $25 for a vegan burger tofu nuggets and a shake the shake was way too small it was like child size uh but whatever i don't know it was all fine the tofu nuggets are good the like breading that they put on them are really good yeah then we came home and he watched uh or we watched invincible that new amazon prime uh cartoon that's based off the robert kirkman comic that i haven't read but it's a pretty fun show the animation is weird it kind of like uh jumps around in quality but, you know, it's a cool enough show. Really brutal. A lot of very brutal action. But anyways, so today's movie, I watched um, Casino Royale, but the 1967 version, which uh, is a, it's a parody movie. It's really weird. Um, so Ian Fleming, Casino Royale is the first Bond book. He sold the rights to some guy and somehow like he got the rights, but like it wasn't the people who ended up making the official James Bond movies. And by the time this guy with the rights eventually got around to making it, it was 1960-whatever, and there's too many, like, actual spy films, so he decided to go with a parody. And it's just a fucking mess of a movie. Though, uh, side tangent, there's, like, I was when I was searching for this on Tubi, there's another Casino Royale from, like, 1959 or something, but I think I read somewhere that that's, like, a TV show, like, an episode of a TV show. But maybe I should watch that, too, if I really want to be a Bond completist. But it's not on the Wikipedia list of James Bond films that I am have been following. But whatever. Uh, I do have some days to fill up this month. We'll see. But yeah, so back to this Casino Royale. It's like, it's just an absolute mess. I thought when I was watching it, I was like I said, my whole vibe was off today. I ended up taking like an hour nap in the middle of this movie. And I felt like I wasn't getting it because I wasn't paying enough attention. But no, the whole movie is just a weird mess because it has five different directors. Like every part of the movie is directed by a different guy. And it's this wild like story of like David Niven is playing the original James Bond, who they make a lot of jokes about how he's the predecessor to like the James Bond we see in the movies to Connery, basically. And he doesn't like that Connery's going around like fucking everybody and um, I don't know making him to this like weird immoral sex symbol uh but he gets like drawn in for one last job and he decides to like i don't know like 
fight this plot by making a bunch of other Bonds. So he names every other Agent James Bond, which is how we get like seven different 007s. Uh, I don't know. Peter Sellers plays one of them. And that's a name I know, but I don't really know enough about him. But like in reading about this, it's weird because he, he apparently wanted to play Bond straight. And he really tried to play him as like a straightforward like non-comedy character because he just wanted to play Bond but I guess he wasn't fully aware of what was going on around him because this whole movie is just <laughs> like it's just gag after gag it's very British humor it's very dated humor um I don't know it's hard to even talk about because there's just so it's so all over the place uh Woody Allen's in it as Jimmy Bond uh David Niven's nephew, who ends up being uh, revealed to be Dr. No. Um, Dr. Arno, Dr. Noah, not Dr. No. I don't know. And then the movie ends with all the Bonds dying in an explosion and like a song and them playing harps and saying that all six of the Bonds go to heaven as Jimmy Bond goes to hell. So that's that's nice that uh, Woody Allen goes to hell. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a weird movie. Definitely some, like, Peter Sellers look in this and, like, a scene where he, like, is with Vesper, who's played by Honey Ryder from, uh, Dr. No. Uh, they're, like, on a spinning circular bed and he's, like, doing gags and, like, changing outfits for it, which felt like that really influenced some of Austin Powers. So maybe after all this, I should watch, uh, Austin Powers because it's been years since I watched those and I, you know... Loved those movies as a kid. Uh, so we'll see. But anyways, yeah. Uh, 2.5 stars. Didn't love it. Didn't hate it. Uh, more fun to watch than Thunderball. Um, but yeah. Alright, that's all I got for today. So we'll see you tomorrow. Alright, hey guys. It's day two. Saturday. Well, it's actually like 4.40 in the morning on Sunday. But uh, I took a two-hour nap during today's movie. My whole thing is still off. And it's... I'm pretty sure it's because I today I made my two weeks post-vaccination thing, which I know I should just feel relieved and, like, good about it, and I do. Like, it's nice that I can go to the grocery store um, without having a panic attack and all that. But uh, it's just, like, really ramping up my social anxiety because now I feel like I need to, like, since it's okay for me to go out and do stuff, I should be going out and doing stuff. But I've become pretty comfortable in this, like, rut of isolation that I've dug myself in. And I, like, I don't know, the pandemic's still not over. It just doesn't feel right to, like, be acting normal, quote-unquote. I also, like, anytime, like, I feel like something, like, a big change is gonna happen, I, I start to, like, freak out. So, like, now it's, like, this, like, big social change and I feel like I'm gonna have to get a job soon and that's another big change. And anytime that happens, I should probably <laughs> talk to a therapist about this. I become very, like, um, death focused and all I can think about is, like, the end and how scared I am of the end because this part of my life is about to end, quote unquote, so it feels like it's all about to end. Um, yeah, it's one of my least favorite forms of my depression. But, um, anyways, uh, <laughs> let's just get to today's movie. I watched uh, On Her Majesty On Her Majesty's Secret Service from 1969. It's the one George Lazenby Bond movie, and it was fucking great. Like, apparently, this is the one that like like uh, Bond fanatics say is the best, according to the Wikipedia or whatever. But and I think I agree. This might be like the best one. It's like it. You do feel the lack of Sean Connery's charm in it, but Lazenby is still good. He's still kind of funny, um, especially since this is his first 
acting performance ever. Um, and like, it doesn't have like all the goofy gadgets and you kind of miss a little bit of the normals, like the scene with Q and all that, but it like more than makes up for it with everything else. Like the whole plot is good. It's like actually coherent. It's still ridiculous, but like you understand what's happening and it like actually has an emotional punch to it. And it has a great villain. Telly Savalas as a Blofeld is great. Yeah, it's like Bond uh, meets a girl, has a little bit of romance with her. Her dad <laughs> abducts him. Turns out he's a crime boss and he wants Bond to marry his daughter because he feels like Bond is like a man's man. Who can like really take care of and show his daughter the way it's a little it's very like problematic patriarchal bullshit but whatever and um bond like agrees like the guy says he'll give him a million dollars to marry his daughter but bond wants information on blofeld instead and the guy agrees which leads to bond like infiltrating uh blofeld's lair which is like on top of a swiss alps thing where he has a group of women called the angels of death that they think they're there to get like their allergies cured but they're actually being brainwashed into like releasing a virus that's gonna like kill crops and animals and stuff and like root like render the world sterile if the world doesn't like absolve blowfield of his crimes and like recognize that he's like a count in like the british monarchy system um which seems like kind of low stakes when I think about it. So yeah, it's it's like that's fucking ridiculous. So the Bond like infiltrates the Swiss house by like pretending to be the guy that um is gonna help prove that he's a count. And it's nice to see Bond like do actual spy work. Like he actually goes undercover. And like yeah, they like had some guy the guy playing that he's like impersonating overdub his voice, but it works. And like the whole thing at the Swiss house is cool. And then like Bond gets discovered and like the whole escape is fucking rad like he fucking um he gets put into like an engine room for the trolley cars and he like actually like escapes like jumps up and like shimmies in the wires and then he like skis out of there and the whole like ski sequence rules and it leads into him getting to a town and meeting up with the girl that he's supposed to marry and they get into a car chase which rules <laughs> and which leads to the like and they get away but then they wake up the next morning and it leads to another ski chase that rules and in this ski chase you have a guy who gets run over by like a snow machine that like shoots snow out and he gets like crushed into it very like rumble in the bronx uh that stuck out to me um yeah like that whole sequence rules and then we get back to like like bond goes and like warns the world and they're gonna and he tries to get m to like authorize an opera operation but they're just gonna like meet his demands but bond's like fuck that and he gets like the bond the girl's like mob uh dad to like help him do a raid on the place and then the raid is fun. But another big part of it, uh, I think I said, like, maybe I didn't. I mean, maybe I just wrote this. But, like, it's like a super spy movie that, like, where you believe that Bond is a super spy. And, like, his, like, action and his fighting is better than Connery's. Like, I don't think Connery could have pulled off this one just from the action sequence alone. Like, sure, he, like, in Never Say Never Again, he does um, some action. And that's, like, you know, 12 years after this movie or whatever longer but uh i don't know if his acting style would have allowed him to anyways and then we get to like you know they save the day and then they have like a whole wedding sequence where bond marries this girl and like it's actually like it feels earned like this um payoff to the romance and like the whole wedding sequence is really nice and there's a really cute moment where bond like money penny is there about to watch him drive off and she's crying and bond throws his hat to her like he does in the um 
like when he enters her office and throws the hat on the hat rack and that's just it was such a nice moment like that really got me and um and then major spoilers whatever so like the end like ends with him driving off with a girl and they pull over to the side of the road because he has to take all the flowers off of his car and then blowfeld and his like henchmen drive by and they do a drive-by shooting and they miss bond but they kill the girl and so the movie ends with bond just like holding her crying like when this happened like i should have like i knew that like bond doesn't just get married and happily ever after but i still just wasn't explain like my jaw dropped and like I gasped out loud when it happened it's just such a tragic end <laughs> to the movie and like apparently this was supposed to be the pre-credits sequence for the next movie but Lazenby didn't want to play Bond anymore um but yeah it was just it's just real sad but it was a uh, overall this movie was just a lot of fun it's really good I I think like this is number one now it's uh it's gonna be hard to top I don't think it's gonna be top. Maybe Skyfall I might like better because I've like I remember loving that movie. But so far, like and also like maybe From Russia with Love is better, but From Russia with Love suffers from it not really being a Bond movie. It's just like a spy movie. This still feel like uh, there's like I guess some people say it doesn't really feel like a Bond movie, but it feels like a Bond movie to me. This is like a super spy and Bond is a super spy. So uh four point five stars. Oh, and personal bonus points because this is technically a Christmas movie. And so it's nice to have a Bond Christmas. Um, I know there's another one later where there's a character named Christmas, but this one actually takes place place around Christmas. And this also, there's a, uh, um, there's like a part where they're skiing and there's an avalanche. And I feel like this is a Bond movie. I think it's one of the Pierce Brosnan ones where like there's an avalanche, but he has like a special thing built into his suit that like inflates and makes a ball so that the snow goes around him in Nepal so that he can survive in case of an avalanche. Maybe I'm mixing that up with another movie, but I guess we'll find out in a couple weeks. But yeah, solid, fun movie. I highly recommend it. Oh, and I guess the only other like trivia thing that I read that I enjoyed was uh, apparently this was a big influence on the uh, Ra's al Ghul or Ra's al Ghul and Talia al Ghul Batman stories that like Denny O'Neill wrote in the 70s, which makes sense, like Bond falling in love with the uh, bad guy's a bad guy's daughter and i guess there's probably a skiing sequence in those comics uh but so that's cool but uh yeah it's good shit all right that's all i got for today we'll see you tomorrow oh i just remembered um telly savalas who's i i don't think i stressed enough he's really good in this he's a great blowfield whenever i think of him though i just think of i think on podcast the ride they told this story about how he used to live at the Hilton or whichever hotel is up by Universal City Walk. And he just lived at the hotel and he was always at the bar, like going around in his like bathrobe and stuff. And he called himself Sloppy Telly. And then I think he would refer to himself in the third person and be like, hey, it's Sloppy Telly. And <laughs> it's just, uh, I, I like that. Living at a hotel at City Walk is both really funny and kind of nice and also kind of really sad. Um, yeah. I just wanted to mention Podcast The Ride. You should listen to that podcast, too. It's good if you also like theme park bullshit like I do. Uh, yeah. All right. See you tomorrow. Hey, guys. Sunday, day three. Uh, still just no energy. Um, sure, it's because, like, <laughs> I have a horrible sleep schedule. Uh, I don't exercise. And uh, my diet is bad and inconsistent. But, um... Maybe there's something wrong with me, you know? Um, anyways, because I've 
been so tired lately and I kept falling asleep during the last two movies, I decided to go ahead and uh, knock out today's movie this morning. <laughs> morning being like 11 or 12 uh, p.m. when a.m. p.m. Uh, whenever I was uh, having my coffee so that I could uh, stay awake during it. But because that was now like 12 hours ago, my memory of it is already disappearing. But anyways, I watched uh, Diamonds Are Forever from uh, 1971, I believe. Yeah, 71. Um, and I was surprised whenever I was reading the letterbox that people don't like this one. Like a bunch of two-star reviews. Even the guy who... Um, acts like he's M and writes full essays for every movie, doesn't like this one, says this might be the worst one, which is just ridiculous, a ridiculous thing to believe when Thunderball exists. But yeah, I felt like this one struck a good middle ground between Goldfinger and Honor Majesty's Secret Service, because we get back to like really campy and broad um, James Bond. He doesn't really have many gadgets in this besides like a grappling gun, um, but in... While it's not like as good of a or emotional story as uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, it does like Bond feels like a super spy in this. Like he goes undercover, he plays it pretty well, he fights well, and he does some like cool stuff. There's some great car chases and shit. Uh, I don't know. I thought this one was fun. It's like starts out with him like hunting down Blofeld and killing him to get like you presumably to get revenge for killing Tracy at the end, but they never really say that. And then M puts him on a mission to deal with diamond smugglers and it brings them to Vegas and stuff and it turns out that it's Blofeld uh, smuggling a diamond so that he can make use them to power a laser that he can then target nuclear weapons and or whatever and destroy Washington DC or some shit whatever um yeah it was just a it was a fun romp Connery was good in this um I liked the guy who played both Blofeld was fine nothing too special I did like Went and Kid, who were the uh, Mr. Went and Mr. Kid, the two like hitmen who were uh, the two gay hitmen. Uh, though all we really get to show that they're gay is that they hold hands and they like to make sassy jokes to each other. Uh, but I liked them, they were fun. There's some cool kills that they did, and their um, them getting killed at the end was funny. The one guy <laughs> trying to attack Bond with uh, flaming kebabs, they like pretended to be room service for Bond and whatever the Bond girl's name was uh, on a cruise ship. I can't remember the Bond girl's name because I think it was just like Tracy, which pales in comparison. No, Tracy was the last movie. What the fuck? Tiffany Case. Diamonds. Tiffany's. Um, uh, but yeah, Tiffany Case is nothing compared to Plenty O'Toole, um, who was the other Bond girl, who apparently Sean Connery dated both of the Bond girls or had affairs with both of them, which led to like a rivalry and a whole plot and like another man and then one of them getting one of them, either one of them getting killed or one of their sisters getting killed i don't know i was trying to whoever put that in the imdp trivia did not do the best job of writing it clearly i'm sure there's an article or something i could read that could explain it better but um yeah if you want to know more about that go do it yourself um but anyways yeah the flaming kebabs <laughs> were funny and then he got like doused with some liquid that like set him on fire and throw him into the ocean uh but yeah, I guess I don't really have much to say about this besides it was fun. It wasn't a boring watch. I like the car chases. There was a chase where, for some reason, in like one of the places where Bond had to go, like uh, infiltrate, like where they were making the laser, they also had a fake moon landing. So I don't know if they were filming, acting like that was where they filmed the moon landing, and he like stole a moon buggy and then like 
drove the moon buggy <laughs> and they like chased him through the desert on these like little atvs and cars and stuff and then there was a chase with a mustang a bond driving a mustang through las vegas it was pretty cool a lot of cop, cop cars got destroyed in both of these uh races i noticed um some uh, like what do you call them continuity errors uh or goofs and I, I usually don't notice those so i was proud of myself for noticing too uh during the buggy scene Whenever you see, like, the buggy, the moon buggy, like, go off camera and then another car crashes, all of a sudden you see another wheel get into frame. So, like, the moon buggy also lost its wheel. <laughs> and you see that kind of, like, roll through the front of the frame as, like, another car gets totaled. And also in the Mustang race, it ends with Bond going into, like, a dead-end alley, but there's, like, a narrow opening. So he, like, does the thing where he only goes up a ramp with two of his tires, so he's driving, like, on just the two side tires. And... He goes into the alleyway up on his right tires, but then he comes out the alleyway on the other side, and they kept that in. Um, so, you know, that's fun. Uh, but yeah, um, nothing nothing else to add. Four stars. It was a fun watch. Tomorrow we get into our first uh, Roger Moore movie, which I'm pretty excited about. I used to say that Roger Moore was my favorite Bond, but I think I was just trying to be contrarian, and I didn't want to say Pierce Brosnan or... Uh, Sean Connery. I wanted to be different because I was young and stupid. And then when Craig, uh, the Daniel Craig movies came out, I started to say that he was my favorite. Um, but anyways, yeah, we'll see you tomorrow for, for that. Bye. Okay. Hey guys, it's, uh, Monday day four. Um, it's weird. It's Monday. It's felt like a Sunday. And I know like being unemployed for a year, you would think, that, like most of the days would just like blend together but I do like we keep like a pretty regular schedule so it was kind of weird that this day just like felt off all day you know but besides that uh pretty chill day I went to the library and picked up a stack of comics uh most of them Superman comics by Greg Pak so I'm excited to get into that uh and speaking of Greg Pak I um I read his Bond uh story today which is like a modernization of Goldfinger. It has like a young odd job who's like implied to be odd job's son or something or someone trained by odd job. And then a modern version of Goldfinger trying to find a way to fuck with the world's markets and drive up the price of gold. Uh, it's a pretty fun series. It was good. I recommend it. So yeah, I guess uh, we'll just get into today's movie then. I watched Live and Let Die from 1973. And um, it's a fun one. Uh, I just realized I didn't even write my review for it yet. Uh, usually I do that before I do this. Um, this one stands out, always like stands out in my mind because I've definitely watched this one before. It's I liked it then, and I've read the novel of this, and the novel is um, of the original Ian Fleming ones that I read like when I was 22. Uh, this is the one that has stuck with me the most because it is the one that is has the most outrageous racism in the movie or in the novel. So like. The novel, the main bad guy in the novel is a, uh, is just one guy. Or it's two, wait, in the movie it's two guys who end up being one guy. In the novel it's just one guy, Mr. Big. It's like a drug runner and he's like trying to do, um, he's a black guy and he's like trying to, uh, use pirate's gold or something to deal with gold markets. I don't know, Ian Fleming liked the idea of gold markets. Um, but the weird racist spin on that is that, um... Since he's a black man, Ian Fleming, his justification for coming up with why this black man is smart enough to run, like, a giant crime ring is that he's half French. And it's the French side of him that is smart enough to, like, come up with these plans. And because he's half French, 
He knows that superstition isn't real and that he can play off of the uh, black like black people's quote-unquote like soup fear of the supernatural and so he pretends to be baron samedi and that's how he's able to keep all of his like henchmen in line is because since they're and this is all like ian fleming's <laughs> logic not me um like since they're fully black they're all very scared of the supernatural unlike our smart half french men um and also the uh like one of the first things in the novel is um bond being surprised at seeing a black woman driving a car he uses a much uh worse form of saying a uh, black woman that's not the n-word but i still don't feel comfortable saying it so i'm not going to you can go read the novel if you want to know um and so the movie like in that all that stuff is like originally why they didn't want to adapt this novel even though it's the second bond novel um but around the early 70s is around when like black exploitation films were becoming popular and so that's they're like right they decide to ride off of that wave to finally use this book and they tweak some of the things to make them not quite as problematic but it also adds a weird element to the movie because now they still have Baron Samedi but they now imply that he actually has magic which is weird and then there's also Solitaire who um I think is a black woman in the novel but she's a white woman in the movie she uses tarot cards to read the future and for all we know in the movie she really can and yeah and then also the the main bad guy's uh motivation in the movie instead of something with pirate's gold he is now gonna make enough heroin and then give out heroin for free until all of his competitors are gone and then he'll start charging for it and he'll have a monopoly and he can make all this money from it apparently and because of this mr big uh is also like a diplomat for a fictional um caribbean country or island that is it's jamaica but it's like sam miguel or some shit um sam monique Sam Monique. I think Sam Miguel is actually real. Uh, yeah, so it, this movie like flirts with a bunch of uh, problematic shit. It also has what is possibly, um, at least so far, the first time uh, Bond technically raping a woman. He he manufactures consent by, since she like thinks tarot card readings are real, um, Solitaire, who looks a lot like uh, porn star Danny Daniels, in my opinion. Um she he like has a deck of tarot cards that are all the lover cards and because she draws a lover card she thinks it's destined for them to be lovers and then they have sex and because she lost her virginity to bond she loses her powers so yeah it's it's uh, fucked up so all that <laughs> aside it does handle like the black uh exploitation side of it better than you would think especially when based on the source material and it's a fun movie and like more like this is roger moore's first performance and i like it it's good he doesn't um he feels more cold and calculating than sean connery uh he's relying less on straight up charm and more on his like wit and uh yeah being able to play it level-headed which almost feels more realistic for a spy but i don't know if i'm just trying to come up with justifications um we also get to see uh bond's apartment in the movie and he like makes m an espresso espresso and uh i i just like that and then m kind of makes fun of him for having all this fancy machines for his coffee and i just like bond being a coffee hipster i think that's funny but uh yeah i guess i already kind of recapped it i guess i can just jump around uh 
the main theme song is really good. The Paul McCartney Live and Let Die. Um, I don't know if it's, it's not the best Bond song because it does have that weird uh, reggae bridge, which I guess fits thematically with the setting of the movie, but it just feels really bad <laughs> in the song. But the whole like, the slow like, bam, bam, like live and let die, that part, and then leading into the banana, banana, like that riff is sick and uh used really well in the movie like anytime they like use that in the score of the movie it feels really cool especially at the end of the boat chase in the bayou whenever they they time it with the explosions which that whole boat chase rules fucking just a great sequence in the movie um so yeah great song uh it said the boat chase is cool the stuff with the alligators is cool apparently the alligator uh ranch was owned by a guy named Kananga, and that's why uh, the main bad guy's name is Dr. Kananga. They named it after this dude, and he is also the person who does the stunt where Bond runs across the alligator backs. Uh, that was a real thing that happened, and he did it like five times and apparently had to get like 193 stitches from getting snapped at. Uh, I feel like that might have been him like playing up the story for reporters, but uh, pretty cool. I was also, whenever I found out Kananga was a... Um, real person's name i was a little more relieved because sometimes with bond's accent saying the word kananga uh felt like it came a little close to a, a word he shouldn't have been saying well yeah okay i'm just kind of rambling i think this movie i spent a lot of time watching this movie thinking about my rating system because i think i should give this four stars like maybe 3.5 but if i gave diamonds are forever four stars and this should also be four stars uh but yeah, I don't know. I think I'm just gonna, I just have to give it four stars because even though like it's not the best plot, there's some problems with it. Um, there's still a lot of stuff here I really like. Like Roger Moore does a fine job. The motor, the boat chase is cool. It's a great song. Uh, Baron Samedi. I fucking really like Baron Samedi. I, I wish they, they like rumored that they were going to bring him back and I wish they did because he just looks really cool and the actor looks like he's having a lot of fun. Uh, and like, the the magic thing i'm choosing to believe that his magic was real because they do like some of the stuff he does in the movie like they have him like rise up from the ground and then bond shoots him in the head and like part of his head flies off and then bond shoots him more and it turns out his body's like made of porcelain or clay but whenever he gets shot in the head and put a chunk of his head's gone you still see his eye like look up to see as if to see his missing head and even though they show that like later that he came up on a lift you know like an underground like thing uh how did his fucking eye do that if it was a fake body? Like, was it like a robot? I don't, I don't think so. No robot. And like, whenever Bond blew it up, there was no robot pieces inside of the clay or the porcelain. And then at the end of the movie, when he's sitting on the front of the train and like laughing, like maybe they just did that because aesthetically it looked cool and it was a fun idea. Uh, but I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose to believe magic's real. And I wish they would bring that back. I wish they would brought him back. So, so yeah, fuck it. Uh, four stars. It was a good time. Uh, all right. And that's all I got. So we'll see you tomorrow. Okay, hey guys. It's day five. Yeah. <laughs> Tuesday. Um, pretty chill day. We went to Trader Joe's. I didn't get anything special, I don't think. Um, we watched some CW shows and uh, a few more episodes of Doom Patrol. That's fun. Doom Patrol's a good show. So it's, it's a good time. Um, I've also been thinking a lot about uh, this new covid uh re-entering society anxiety i've been having and um like my friend Ava was talking to my friend about it and she sent me a podcast about it and uh i listened to it and they touched on some stuff but uh 
they didn't really hit the main thing that's bothering me and the main issue I think I'm having, which is I've now, I've turned this into such a moral thing of like participating in normal society or whatever, or attempting to is bad now in my mind. Like one of the things I was the most angry at over the past year was like people eating at restaurants or like, and then to a lesser extent, like people still hanging out and doing stuff while I like chose to stay in and do all this bullshit. So it's like this moral uh, high ground that I've placed myself upon and uh, like going back on it feels bad. Like it kind of, it's, it feels similar to like my decisions to stop eating meat or to stop drinking. You know, like I feel like I'd be regressing if I, if I tried to change this or try to be more free now that I'm like vaccinated. Um, but also like because I'm vaccinated, it is now safe for me to do things and hang out with people. So really I'm just punishing myself, uh, with a lot of this. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff I need to work on. The hardest part, and there's like, in like the podcast they're talking about, um, like, people are going to be, like, worried about, like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to interact with people socially now. I have all this, like, social anxiety. And, like, I think I'd be fine, like, interacting with people and talking to people. I'm not too worried about that. The part I'm worried about is this, like, <laughs> is the moral high ground thing where I'm going just to, to be judging everyone on how they've been acting. And I just don't think I'm not going to want to, like, I'm not going to want to, like, talk to people who have been more lax than me. And unfortunately, that's like most of my friends and people that I know in Los Angeles. Uh, I don't know. Excuse my uh, using this as a substitute for therapy and talking and getting thoughts out of my mind. I should have set up front to um, skip ahead a couple minutes if you don't want to hear about my stupid COVID anxiety. Uh, anyway, so today's movie, it was uh, The Man with the Golden Gun from 1974 with Roger Moore and Christopher Lee as uh, Scaramanga, the man with the golden gun, and the third nipple. Uh, and I don't know, maybe I'm starting to get Bond fatigue, but uh, this one just didn't hit. It didn't, uh, it wasn't Thunderball bad, but it was just, I expected more. I think also because I asked uh, my friend Dane his top Bond movies, and he put this at number like three or something. And I get it if you're like big into Christopher Lee, because he is the best part of this movie. But, um... And there's some, like, cool, iconic parts, but I don't think they're gonna stick with me the way that the boring and annoying parts of this movie did. Like, it's all about Bond trying to potentially having a hit put on him by this uh, mythical assassin, the man with the golden gun that no one's ever seen, but everybody knows has a third nipple for some reason. And, um, and it's also tied to this other plot where there's a device that'll help solar cells, like solar panels process solar energy at a faster rate. And there's an energy crisis, which I guess was a real thing in Britain in like 1973. Uh, and so this was like something that could help them get past the energy crisis, which I like an environmentally cautious, um, or conscious, uh, spy movie. But unfortunately this is like the last time they did anything like that until I think Quantum of Solace. So, um, yeah, but that whole plot seemed a little, like, tacked on. Because originally, apparently, the plot, like, the writers, they wanted to to make it um, more about how Christopher Lee's character is, like, the equivalent of Bond on the evil side. Like, he is, like, the top assassin. And so, like, they're supposed to be, like, rifles. But they, like, played that down a little bit in favor of, like, adding this energy crisis plot and making it more of a bland uh, Bond story. Which I think I would have liked the duel better. I would have liked... 
like part of the another like change like apparently the duel at the end of the movie was supposed to be longer but they cut it down for pacing issues but i wish they would have played it out because um it takes place in like on scaramanga's like island in thailand his like lair um it's this like abandoned island that somehow has a huge like solar plant in it but it also has a like disneyland um not disneyland um has like a wax museum in it and like a fun house and like animatronics and stuff in it uh and that's where bond and scaramanga have their duel and i just would like them to play around with that more like uh explore more of that because it is silly for scaramanga to have like what is basically a riddler (laughs) um hideout but it's fun like it would have been cool to see more of them uh fighting in there and yeah this movie apparently the novel takes place in jamaica but they moved it to like thailand and hong kong just so it's something different and like places the bond hasn't been before but you can kind of you can like tell that it was tacked on and like they added some like martial arts scenes and stuff and they literally add nothing uh to the plot and they're very forgettable even like right after you see them uh so like that could have been handled better at least it wasn't like they didn't have bond do yellow face again um also the one girl uh one of the worst bond double entendre names the like this chinese girl her name was chu mi which is uh pretty bad though i did like them using uh the queen elizabeth that like sank in like a hong kong harbor or something they like used that as a uh secret mi6 headquarters so that's fun apparently in real life they did use it as like a building it was like a a university or something for a while until someone like set fire to it but yeah i don't know they also brought back the like racist uh idiot louisiana sheriff for some comedic relief because one of the producers liked that character had him and his wife on like vacation in thailand while bond was there and he was just there to like make racist jokes he kept calling them uh excuse me for repeating this, but he kept calling them pointy heads, which is a slur that I don't quite understand, and I don't think I want to look up uh, the reasons and figure out why. Um, But the chase that he's in, there's some fun stuff in that chase. Like, it has the 360, uh, like, Bond launching the car off the ramp, and it, like, does a barrel roll over the uh, river, though, of course, they even kind of ruined that because the composer added a slide whistle effect to it, which he has then said that he really regrets, and, like, everyone involved says they wish they didn't do that, but it's still still bad, um, but the sun is cool, and there's also, a prior to that, there's a part um, where they're, like, driving on these little boats uh, on, like, these, like, canal-ish areas of town, and in the trivia, I saw that Roger Moore wrote in his autobiography that, like, he went over... He, like, fell off the boat twice, like, once on purpose, just because they told him not to. I just stopped recording for a while because, uh, there's a helicopter flying overhead, and I realized that almost every time I record for one of these, there's a helicopter, much like how there's a helicopter in every Bond movie, though now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if there's a helicopter in this Bond movie. I can't remember. There's, like, a car plane and a tiny, like, seaplane, but I can't remember any helicopters. Anyways, as I was saying, uh, he, so Bond fell off the, or more fell off the little boat and the second time he fell off he opened his eyes and i guess saw a bunch of corpses and that's what the local undertakers did to uh poor people people couldn't afford actual funerals they just threw them in the river which is uh it's pretty fucked up but yeah eh, like i don't know i feel like i'm being too harsh on it but it was just it's just a fine movie it's three stars it's not bad it's not thunderball um i wasn't like angry but yeah just fine also i'm 
it's funny that like I used to think Roger Moore was my favorite because now this one also just reinforced my feeling from the last movie that like he's just a little too uh, cold in his, uh, his 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 face feels a little too cold because like I guess his movies are supposed to be more campy and I think they just get campier after this one um, and he's supposed to be like a little more comedic but there's just something to his demeanor that he feels a little more ruthless than Connery and there's no like joy in his face like whenever Connery would like was laying on the charm and he'd smile like you'd still feel like a little joy in his face and you'd be like oh James you little scamp but uh but yeah but more doesn't have that it just feels like he's being it's just a little too dry maybe I don't know but yeah three stars it was fine Christopher Lee's good oh another uh one last trivia before I stop rambling uh apparently this was the first Bond movie to be shown in the Kremlin and part of uh, Scaramanga's um, uh, things that he was like a former circus performer and trick shot who got recruited by the KGB. And after the movie was done, a Russian official turned to, I guess, more because he's the one telling Santa joke, but turned around and said, we did not train him very well. And I think that's pretty funny. I, I like that that joke. It's a good bit. Um, but yeah, three stars. Okay, we'll see you tomorrow. Okay, hey guys. Day six, Wednesday. Uh, you know what that means? It's new comic book day. Actually, it's a good uh, it's a good new comic book day. We went to the shop a little early. Um, so the dude who was working, who like thinks we're friends, he uh, <laughs> that sounds mean. Um, he's a good dude. We just like it's just funny like how quickly he became because he just talks like he'll, he's very open about his thoughts and everything. And since I kind of let him talk, he like thinks we're buddies and he like hooks me up with stuff, which is cool. Um, so he hooked me up today with uh, one of the Batman Fortnite comics from last week that I'm sure I thought for sure would be sold out already. Um, and like I wasn't planning on buying it, but I read it online and it's actually like really good and really fun uh, and the art art is great so i ended up buying like 10 comics today uh which is a pretty heavy week uh nothing compared dexter bought like 90 dollars worth of 70 or 80 dollars worth of a uh, manga at mega city and then we went to barnes and noble because they had some other book he wanted and he ended up buying like 120 dollars worth of manga there it's crazy it's a little too much manga but who am i to judge um yeah okay i guess we'll just get into it uh today's movie was uh the Spy Who Loved Me from 19, what was it, 77? And this is, it was really good. This is one of the most solid movies in the entire series. Uh, you really feel like Roger Moore came into his own in this one? Like, he finally, they say in, like, the notes, like, this is finally where the writers tried to stop writing him like Connery and tried to just write him like Bond in the novel. Uh, and you can tell. He feels a little more comfortable. And I don't know if he just was more comfortable with the acting also, but there was like a little more warmth to him. He didn't feel as cold as he did in past in the past uh, entries. And this was also like, it like finally felt like a super spy. Like Bond doing like crazy shit. Like the opening is great. It's like him in the Alps and he's like skiing and he does like crazy stunts. And uh, it ends with like him skiing and jumping off a cliff and then opening up his parachute and it's the uh, British flag, which apparently got like a huge reaction in Britain when it first happened. Like Prince Charles stood up for it or some shit. And like one of the notes said like, this is what cemented Bond as like an iconic British hero, you know? Uh, so that, that's a pretty cool scene. It's at a, they filmed it at this place called Mount Asgard <laughs> up in Canada, which sounds awesome. And apparently, I think it might also be like those two flat top mountains from Avengers Endgame. So it'd be cool to go there one day. 
seems like it'd be pretty hard to get to, but one of these days. Um, yeah, and then the spy who loved me, I guess, refers to the Russian spy, Triple X, who they trick you into thinking is like a dude, but then it turns out it's a woman. And uh, her and Bond end up having to work together to like solve this mystery of why these uh, each country had a nuclear sub go missing. And so they team up, and uh, it's, she's pretty good. I liked her. Um, and it turns out the, like, the subs are being stolen by this uh, bad guy whose name I already can't remember. That's one of my, like, knocks against this movie. Uh, is it, like, the main bad guy was kind of forgettable? He was just, like, a white dude who put on a just decent performance. Um, and he's just, like, some, like, um, he's just, like, some maniac who wants to use the subs to fire nukes at both New York and Moscow and make them think that it's the other country. So he starts World War III. So he then can start a new utopic society under the water, which, uh, cause I guess he really likes the ocean, but having to live underwater sounds awful to me. Very claustrophobic. I would hate it. Um, and, uh, yeah, even though, and so even though he's forgettable, this has like the best henchmen one of the best henchmen, it's like, uh, and Jaws gets introduced in this one. There's Richard Keel, who's also, I know him as the big dude from Happy Gilmore. Um, but yeah, but he's great. Very glad that they didn't kill him off in this one. Uh, let's see. I was trying to do like a clean recap, but now I feel like I'm lost. Uh, and I jumped too far ahead. Oh, also the bad, the bad guys like headquarters looks like the Legion of Doom headquarters from the cartoon, you know, like comes out of the ocean. So that's pretty cool. It was a cool layer. Uh, and also like the way that he uh, captured the submarines. He had a giant oil tanker that like opens up at the front and swallows them and like brings them into this big like loading dock all that's like inside the tanker that can fit three um, subs. And this whole like super tanker inside scene uh, and like set was pretty cool. It was a good design. And I like like the loading bay was cool. And they had like a full on like gunfight in this at, like towards the end with all of like the captured sailors and all the henchmen of the bad guy and they were just like fucking throwing so many grenades it was like a halo uh <laughs> like death match it's just so many grenades going off it felt very uh didn't seem very smart to be throwing around all these grenades inside but who am i i'm not a fucking soldier um let's see what else did i like uh the main theme wasn't the best song like i already don't really remember it but the intro like animation was good and this is i think the first time where we get away from just like women doing stuff to like a, like a fake version of bond doing like abstract interpretive things like with these women which I think most of the what what most of the uh, opening scenes become like kind of like abstract like interpretive act outs of the movie. So it, it was it was cool. It looked good. Oh, and this also has um one of the coolest cars with the Lotus a Spirit that it looks like a boxy like prototype car. Which I like that like I like cars that are like boxy and like straight lines. I think that's cool. And uh, this car like turns into a submarine, and that was a really cool sequence. The whole like underwater submarine chase and then him driving it up onto a beach very cool very like iconic so i don't know i'm feeling pretty uh scatterbrained right now i was gonna when i was gonna record this my like laptop shut down because i accidentally had it unplugged and i had my review like mentally prepared but uh having to wait for it to like charge up and turn back on i've lost my structure but uh yeah I don't know, this is a good one it's one of the most solid in the series it might be the second best bond movie it's like top three for sure um and i give it four stars the only reason i don't give it 
uh, 4.5, like Honor Majesty's Secret Service, is because the like I said, the main villain is forgettable. And like, even though Jaws is amazing, I think you still need to have like a really good solid main villain to really be up there. And also, this one just didn't have like an emotional punch like the way Honor Honor Majesty's Secret Service did. And like the story didn't like there's definitely like the middle part of this movie. I found myself getting distracted and not paying enough attention to. But this is probably the first one or one of the first ones that like I want to watch again. Uh, so there's that. So let's see. Uh, um, oh, <laughs> and a little bit of like morbid trivia for this movie. This was apparently the last movie that Elvis saw. Like how, oh, what's the man with the, our Goldfinger was Kennedy's last movie. Uh, but this was also the last movie or the movie that the Menendez brothers, that their parents were watching on VHS whenever they killed, when the Menendez brothers killed them. Uh, so that's fucked up. Oh, and also this movie apparently changed Americans' views on Russian women, which is wild. Like, I guess that was like one of Johnny Carson's main jokes was just to talk about how ugly <laughs> Russian women are. But since uh, Agent Triple X, which I don't think I commented on the fact that <laughs> her call sign is Triple X, which um, is just kind of funny, uh, but because she's like a very beautiful woman, uh, apparently that completely changed the way Americans view Russian women and ruined a bunch of Johnny Carson's jokes. Uh, real sad. But anyways, uh, yeah, four stars, good movie. We'll see you tomorrow. Okay, hey guys. It is uh, Thursday, last day of our week here. Um, pretty chill day. I didn't really do anything. Um, just uh, read some comics and oh, I watched the uh, the Nick Gage episode of Dark Side of the Ring. That was pretty cool. It was a uh, he definitely deserves like more than just an hour documentary. They like really had to stuff it in there, but it was good. They used a lot of footage from two shows that I was at, though, of course, you couldn't see me. You can kind of see my forehead in one shot, and that's it. Uh, but yeah, that was fun. Um, a little thrown off, I took a nap in the middle of tonight's movie again. Uh, it felt like a fucking eight-hour sleep, but I think it was just like an hour. Uh, but anyways, I watched Moonraker from 1979, and uh, hands down the most ridiculous Bond movie, uh, so far, but still fun. Like, it's, like I said in the, it's like a, it's eye-roll inducing, but it's also, like, every eye-roll, like, you get a good-natured laugh in there, too. Um, like, I didn't find myself hating any part of this, and the story moves along pretty decently, and there's some pretty good, like, action stuff in here, like the opening, uh, skydive sequence was very impressive, very cool. A lot of cool locales in this one, going to Venice, where Bond has a, a gondola that turns into a hovercraft for no good reason. Um, go to Rio de Janeiro and the Amazon, that's pretty sweet. And then they go to space, which is real stupid, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's still kind of fun. Uh, the bad guy in this one, Drax, played by Michael Lonsdale, was pretty good. I liked his performance. It's uh, kind of similar to the last movie, He's but he's, uh, instead of trying to make a undersea society he's planning on bringing a bunch of uh perfect specimens up into space where he is then going to use a rare orchid to kill everyone and then his uh all his perfect humans will then populate the earth um very ridiculous definitely one of the uh, broader bond villains he even at one point like admits that he's just trying to find amusing ways to kill bond <laughs> and and then after he points this out, he still puts him in a amusing and easy, easily escapable way to way to die. Um, 
But yeah, he's pretty good. Uh, Jaws is back in this one, and he's played for comedy for the most part. Like, he fails in all of his attempts to assassinate Bond, even, like, in the uh, opening skydiving sequence. He, like, gets his shoot taken away, but he survives because he falls into a circus and lands in the trapeze net, which... <sighs> He would, in actuality, just go straight through that <laughs> into the ground. Uh, but he survives, and he goes through, and then we actually, at the end, get a Jaws face turn, which is fun. Apparently, that was influenced because a bunch of kids wrote fan letters and wanted Jaws to be a goodie instead of a baddie. Um, the main Bond girl was fine, Dr. Uh, Goodhead, which I know all these Bond girl names are innuendo, but it like, made me think, like, were they calling it Head? Back in 1979, I guess they were. I don't know why they wouldn't, but it seemed a little weird. Uh, but yeah, I don't really have much else to add to this one. It's a, it's a good little romp. It's a fun... It's like this is when you throw on if you have like people over and you want something you can talk over and laugh at. Um, yeah, 3.5 stars. Um, unfortunately, on <laughs> to end on a sad note, this was the last uh, uh, time that Bernard Lee played M because he dies in pre-production before the next movie. Which is sad, because I do really like this M. His, uh... I don't know if I've, like, commented on it, really, throughout all these reviews, but I like the way, um, he plays M and, like, his relationship with Bond, I really like. Because he is constantly, like, exasperated with Bond whenever they're in the office, uh... And he wishes Bond would take things more seriously. But any time that someone who's not him, uh, questions Bond or question Bond, uh, Bond's ability. M is always like, always has his back and always is like, if 007 says it, then I believe it. So, uh, yeah, I like, I liked their relationship and it's, uh, it's unfortunate that we're not going to have him in the series anymore. Uh, so yeah. All right. I guess that's it for this week then. Uh, thank you for listening to Consume. Uh, and, and I've been Burton Olivier at Birds Are On Everything. Uh, if you would like to talk to me about stuff, uh, and yeah, that's it for another, for this week of Die Another May, and we'll see you back for the third week, but until then, it's time I disappear.